So for every Super Bowl, there's huge demand for the uh, merchandise, clothes, shirts, hats for the winning team. And because there's immediate demand, they often make manufacture shirts and clothing for both teams as if both of them won. Many people might wonder what happens to the losing team shirts. And the answer, it fits into charity. Welcome to There's a Better Way, a podcast series focused on exploring how operational excellence principles can provide solutions in your personal and professional life. Each episode, Dr. Arvind Chandrasekharan, professor and academic director at The Ohio State University, Fisher College of Business, will sit down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss problems we all face in our world today. This program is brought to you by the Master of Business and Operational Excellence. Welcome to The Better Way. I'm here with uh, Dr. Brian Mittendorf, uh, the chair of the Department of Accounting and uh, Management and Information Sciences. He's also the Fisher Designated Professor of Accounting. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me. So, Brian, today we are here to talk a little bit about non-cash gift giving. I know you do a lot of work on uh, the art of gift giving. Can you tell us more about what you do in that area? Sure. So I'm, I'm an accountant by trade. Uh, I'm a CPA, but uh, also do research in accounting. So I have a PhD from here at The Ohio State University. And accounting, uh, my research centers around both charitable giving, the role of accounting in, in nonprofit organizations, and in incentives in and outside of nonprofit organizations. And so kind of cover all of that, but with a particular eye on the role of accounting in those things. Great. So after your PhD, uh, you went to the Yale University. What draw you back to Ohio State? Yes. Well, I, I'm an OSU grad and have family here in Columbus and uh, a loyal Buckeye. So a great opportunity to come back. And unfortunately, I get to, to teach the stuff I enjoy. So I teach nonprofit and government accounting here. It's great. We, are, we, we, love, we love you to be back here. So thanks again. So tell us more about this uh, topic of nonprofit and especially the, the concept of gift giving and non-cash gift giving. Yeah. So a lot of what I look at is uh, kind of effective ways uh, of giving, both from the standpoint of charities and from the standpoint of donors, and often there's a, a disconnect between those things, and often that disconnects due to the tax code. So, kind of weigh into some of that as well. So I, th- I think you know, if, if you want kind of a bottom line about the role of uh, of, of gift giving uh, from the standpoint of most charities, the cash is the preferred method of uh, receiving gifts. From the standpoint of the tax code, it's often the case that non-cash gifts are the thing which are incentivized the most. And so charities find themselves in circumstance of getting a lot of non-cash gifts that they have to figure out what to do with. This is interesting because uh, I believe a year or two ago I was reading this book on uh, the art of gift giving. Uh, I believe the, the book is called Scroogenomics. And the author of this book, an economist, argues that the best way to give gifts is to actually give them uh, cash. But then he also argues there is, again, sometimes those gift cards that we acquire for cash never get used. So that's the way organizations manipulate the art of gift giving. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you can think of kind of the extreme case, and this isn't really driven by the tax code as much as people's desire to help. Uh, after natural disasters, uh, nonprofits that deal with disaster relief get a huge flood of stuffed animals, mm. and they don't know what to do with them. They would much rather have cash. But I think people kind of have that emotional connection and want to help out, and so they send things like stuffed animals that, that nonprofits just don't know what to do with. Uh, or they can distribute them, but it's very costly for them. They much rather distribute money. Yeah, it's it's very interesting here, Brian, because that's where uh, we would like to hear more on your thoughts. But recently, I was in uh, Mid Ohio Food Bank, and uh, I was walking through some of their aisles, and I found that they got a lot of uh, uh, goods from Walmart. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually, Mid Ohio Food Bank gives 
gifts like produce like lettuce and and apples and so on but along with those they also got a lot of uh, electronic equipments they got Wii's and they got so how does that work why do you think Walmart sends not just the produce to uh, food bank but also other supplies that I'm assuming are not getting sold at Walmart so I think the answer to the is a different answer for each of those actually so food items are very different from electronics and and uh, you know toys and things like that uh, but it's you know Walmart is a, it's interesting you bring up Walmart as an example because other than medical pharmaceutical companies Walmart is by far the largest corporate donor in the United States. Um, the reason why is because it gets a lot of food items. Mm. Uh, and that's not by accident. This is really a, an artifact of the tax code, and there's good reason for it. Uh, but the tax code provides extra incentives for companies to donate inventory. Another question I have for you, Brian, is sometimes, again, as you mentioned, non-cash gifts. Like, uh, again, I want to go back to Walmart. Uh, when they have some unsold uh, inventory in them. So they have, uh, there is a big lettuce recall for romaine lettuce and they have tons of other kinds uh, of lettuce there and they send all those lettuce back to a food bank. Now I, I see value in those kind of non-cash donations but I always wonder, isn't Walmart trying to push something that they are not selling in their stores to a food bank and, and, and actually compounding the problem for food bank because what is food bank going to do with tons and tons of lettuce? Any any comments on that? Sure. So, um, I'll, I'll quickly on on the lettuce side, uh, the, the tax code is actually pretty specific about this. Uh, that that the food items have to be edible. So this you know recalled lettuce probably wouldn't be eligible for a tax cut. That said, uh, you'd get tax benefit from from donating food items that are close to expiration that haven't sold. Uh, that that a company might want to get rid of unsold inventory. And so more broadly, that that point I think is true. Uh, if, if I can step back a bit, why this is the case. So, I, you know, I think the idea is that, um, you know, as individuals, if we have leftover clothing, we can donate it to Goodwill and we get a tax deduction or wherever, we get a tax deduction for doing so. For a company, if they have unsold inventory, the cost of that inventory is an expense, a business expense to them, whether they donate it or whether they throw it in the trash. And so there's underlying the tax code, there's no real incentive for a business to give inventory. So what happened is the, you know, Congress decided to extend the tax benefit to giving for corporations to essentially say, if you give unsold inventory, you get a tax deduction, which isn't tied to the cost of the item, but it's tied to the price of the item. And so suddenly, instead of having to get a deduction for the cost, I get a deduction for whatever I would have sold that thing for. And so it's an, called an enhanced charitable deduction for donation of inventory. So there's that that extra incentive so that they don't throw away things, they donate them. The, the side effect though, and this is to get back to your original point, the side effect of this is that companies have a strict incentive to donate inventory instead of cash. If I, if I make shirts that cost $10 to make and I sell them for $20, why would I donate $10? I could make a shirt and donate the shirt and I get a higher tax deduction. So this is kind of the question. The public policy reason for this is to try to get companies to donate things that they might have thrown away otherwise. But somewhat the unintended consequence of that is that we see companies donating much less cash, donating a lot more inventory. And there can be consequences. Is there a better way to think about this problem? Because if you look at it from a logistical standpoint, it's compounding the problem of getting those uh, unsold items or the, the priced items rather than like using the, the cash that the companies could have donated otherwise for other useful things. Right. So I think the, 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 
the answer lies in one of two realms, either public policy, that if we think about the way the tax code is designed, is it creating these, these perverse incentives? And, and the consequences are even, the ramifications are even greater. If we, if we look outside into, say, pharmaceuticals, lots of donated pharmaceuticals, the difference between the cost and the price of those is pretty substantial. Mm -hmm. So there's huge tax incentives for giving pharmaceuticals. And some research I did with a colleague here at Ohio State, we looked at this question of what are the consequences now on pharmaceutical companies? And, and the concern here, public policy-wise, is that if I'm getting a tax deduction based on the price I charge the general public for this item, I have an incentive to charge a higher price to the public. Mm. And so if what we're trying to do is help the general public, what we might be doing is helping corporations give some items away, but to the th items that are sold are being sold at a lot higher prices. Yeah. Uh, so uh, all I've done is elaborate on the problem, <laughs> not the solution. Uh, so, you know, one solution on, on one end is the question of whether the tax code is, is incentivizing the right sort of giving. Pushing that aside, though, if you think from the standpoint of a charity receiving this stuff, the question is, uh, how can we do better with the re receiving of non-cash gifts? It's it's, it's built into the tax code that, mm -hmm. company, that companies are going to give non-cash gifts. The question is, how can nonprofits better handle them? Yeah. And that might be a more manageable question, actually. Sometimes, how do you even measure these things? Like, I, was, I came across, across an article in CNBC wherein a donor donated a $100 million, $100 million years old fossil to Goodwill. How do you even put a value to a $100 million year old item here? That's tricky. It, it's it's definitely uh, you're in the accounting realm now because we we run into this problem a lot. Like not to keep going back to pharmaceuticals, but that is a big question. Donated pharmaceuticals that are then sent overseas to uh, a country where there isn't an, uh, an open market for these pharmaceuticals. Are, are the donated pharmaceuticals really worth what the retail price in the United States is? And the answer is probably no, because they're not being used in the United States. Um, so I, I avoided your question of how do we value archaeological artifacts because I'm not sure but you have to uh, the you know the tax deduction is often tied to the fair value of the items which are donated and it's sometimes hard to come up with what that fair value is lots of donated art and we have to figure out that even if we think in the company standpoint there's donated uh, limited partnership interests there's donated private equity and these things are not traded so we have to figure out what they're worth hmm, interesting so I, I want to go back to the the, the donation uh, in terms of the non-cash gift and you mentioned again uh, to actually have a better way to think about non-cash gift is now to change policies. Let's think about it differently. Like think about a company like a pharmaceutical company donating a lot of their uh, unsold items to uh, a Goodwill or a, a, a Salvation Army kind of place. Rather than giving it there and then having them to transport some of those uh, pharmaceutical items back to the people, is there a way you can think of having them directly give it to the people? Especially, uh, very, uh, this comes in, uh, in, a, in a good way when there is a crisis, when there is a Katrina, instead of having Walmart donating all the food items to uh, a Goodwill or a, mm -hmm. a nonprofit shelter and having them then logistically distribute it to other people, can Walmart directly send it to the people uh, in a way uh, that can minimize the process glitches here? Yeah, I mean, it's a great suggestion. Uh, not and to, can not, that be written off? From a I was going to say, not, not to go back to the tax code here, but the tax code does require these sorts of corporate gifts of inventory to go through a domestic-based, a U.S.-based 501c3 charity. So this disintermediation, which sounds like a great idea, it's hard from a 
tax standpoint. It might be hard from a logistical standpoint too, but that's a, that's another question. Um, but from a tax standpoint, it has to funnel through a public charity in the United States. Oh, no, the reason why I asked you is like recently we read about uh, this fire in California, where people were directly getting shelter in one of their Walmart stores, and so you have Walmart with all those unsold items there, and you have people actually putting tents in their parking lots. And now Walmart has to take their unsold items and send it to a 501c charity organization only to bring it back to the people who are sitting in the Walmart store, right? So I know that here is where, again, if you think about it, there is a better way of changing the tax code in a way uh, the benefits from Walmart can directly come to the people there. Yeah, I mean, it's a great idea. And I think you see some of those pressures. I mean, GoFundMe is, uh, for medical expenses and other things, GoFundMe is, is ballooned. Mm-hmm. And other organizations that try to kind of bypass the charity. Uh, on the other hand, we've also seen some of the worst abuses in those organizations, uh, not by those in the organization, but there's, you know, there, there is a value that charities bring to the table in vetting the recipients of the money that are, that are getting it ultimately. And you lose that if you say, we're going to have person A just give to person B. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not to defend the tax code entirely here, but there are good reasons that we have these these intermediaries okay. that are doing this. I think the interesting development here is that you would kind of think uh, as technology advances, disintermediation becomes more common. Mm. The charity sector is kind of the exception to that in that the biggest growth in the charity sector is in actually extra intermediaries. Mm. Uh, and that is a... a person between, or not a person, but a, an organization between the donor and the charity. Uh, there's a donor-advised fund. Is this kind of this intermediary there? So no, I think intuitively we would think as technology has gotten better, uh, we would have seen less and less of this chain uh, of organizations, but we've actually seen it expand. Have you done work, Brian, um, uh, looking at some of these things outside the United States? I'm, I'm wondering are we are, are other countries doing it better than what is happening in the United States? That's a good question. I mean, I think people would argue some, in some ways yes and in some ways no. So there you know other other countries that have uh, you know charitable activity that is incentivized by the government. Uh, some have much more oversight, some have less. Uh, I, I, I don't know if there's a lot of great data to speak to this beyond anecdotes. Yeah. And the U.S. charity sector plays a huge role in what happens internationally. A lot of the money flows through the U.S. charity sector to get to international charities. Uh, so it's, it's somewhat hard to say uh, because these things aren't fully separate either. So what I'm hearing from you, Brian, is again, non-cash gifts are really good, but there are going to be some challenges because of some tax codes that are in there. And there is a reason why you have these intermediaries come in to actually like help organizations push some of those non-cash gifts back to the the people who need them. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's good reason given the way the tax code is that we have what we have. I think the other thing I would point to, probably from the standpoint of charities, in terms of non-cash gifts that come from companies, there's a small set of charities that handle those. Mm -hmm. And that might be, if you think of kind of what's the right way of doing things, you'd have some, some, a small set of charities that have an expertise in processing that sort of thing. And so it makes sense for a food bank to receive donations of groceries from local grocery stores makes much less sense for someone who wants to help on a completely different cause to give lettuce uh, to that. Um, But one thing we see a difference in is uh, on the individual side, individual donors, uh, we have strong incentives for non-cash gifts there also. 
and there's a new kind of world of charities building to accept those. With every tragedy that happens, right, we have people wanting to give something back, but we don't really think about what happens next. So sometimes I drop off a lot of uh, 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 like used items to Goodwill, but I don't really think about what happens next. And this is where this idea of non-cash gifts come, come in, right? What do you think? How do you think uh, we should think about this problem? So I think a big piece of that is is having to do with educating donors and having donors be a, think a little bit more prior to their giving. And you're right, a lot of giving by individuals is is prompted by some natural disaster, and donors want to help. And there's this culture that donors feel uncomfortable asking what's the best place to give. And I think that's that's part of the picture is researching a bit from the standpoint of a donor. Uh, what do I want to achieve with the gift that I'm giving? Which organization is best suited to help achieve that? And I think those are the thought processes that people often don't don't go through. It's I want to help, and I saw a commercial on TV, so I'm going to give. And the the truth, I guess, with charitable giving is that some charities are better at achieving their objectives than others. Some are better at being stewards of donor funds than others. And so the more donors kind of think about that, uh, the better off. I think in terms of the bottom line, the outcome at the end would be. So so this is interesting because when you think about giving, now you're actually getting into elements that we don't see. Like in operational excellence, we talk about those hidden processes. So once mm-hmm. I drop off an item, what I'm hearing from you, Brian, is that there are some organizations that are able to like manage that in a way that they're able to give those items back to the needy people uh, in a better way than the others who actually have some disconnects and troubles doing so. Right, and the interesting thing, to me at least, is that we don't have a very clear science on what's the best way. What we have, accounting-wise, we can say how money is spent. That's one piece of the picture. What donors really want to know is not how the money was spent, but what was achieved by that. And there's, there's some movement there. There's some organizations that are looking to develop measures of impact and to audit those measures of impact. But that's ultimately what donors want to know, is what organizations achieve the highest impact for the dollars I give. And we have some information there, but it's not, it's not perfect. So do you think transparency there would be helpful? And if so, how do you achieve transparency there? So there's some transparency. All, all charitable organizations, almost all charitable organizations, have to file annual informational returns with the IRS, and those have to be made available to the public. So people can look up a lot of financial information about where their money goes and how it's used. Uh, and so those those are available, Form 990, but they are tax forms, and people don't like looking at tax forms. <laughs> so, you know, one thing that's a, a, a big movement is to try to essentially take that information and condense it so that it's usable for donors, so that donors can say, here's where my money is going. And so there's some good organizations that do that. GuideStar is an organization that makes, it ava- makes this information available to the public. Uh, Charity Navigator does some ratings of organizations based on that. And there's others. There's organizations that are essentially trying to compile all that data, that transparency that's somewhat available, um, and making it making it con- condensed in a way that people will find it meaningful. Uh, transparency about the imp- not just how money is spent, but the impact of what's done is a much more difficult question. And there there is an organization that's looking at doing impact audits so that organizations can report about their results, and those can be audited. Uh, there's other organizations that are looking at ways of measuring impact. I mean, it's there's a good reason why we measure things in terms of dollars because it's easy to compare how a art museum spends and how a food bank spends. It's much harder to compare the impact of an art museum to the impact of a food bank. 
Uh, and so there's good reasons why money is, is, is the currency that we, we measure these things, but there is, a, there is a taste and a desire to measure more uh, on the impact side. And I would say we're pretty early on in having, having good data on that. So one of the things this time, Brian, not that you're a nonprofit expert, we're trying to do in our uh, Master of Business and Operational Excellence is like, we find that our students really want to give back something to the society. Uh, MBOE is a program where we look at process challenges and people challenges, and nonprofit organizations have plenty of those challenges. So one thing that we have done this year is actually to work with a local nonprofit organization, uh, the Mid-Ohio Food Bank, where we have the entire class of uh, 38 students actually spending time every time that they are in session to go and work on problems that food bank have. And a lot of my um, conversations with you today actually came from those because when we went in there, we saw that food bank has several challenges. So we were actually looking at uh, people there volunteering to move food, but also storing items, storing uh, uh, Xbox items because Walmart didn't want them and they gave it to the food bank. And what will the food bank do with an Xbox item? So it was more complicated, but our students actually got a lot of uh, understanding of life is messy out there, especially in a nonprofit world, where again, there are other uh, objectives come into play. Uh, and it becomes more trickier when you're trying to optimize and create efficiencies in those contexts. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, we, we, our Masters of Accounting students, went and volunteered at the Mid-Ohio Food Bank as well last year uh, and got an appreciation for it in many ways. It's a process that's like a manufacturing process uh, with some added complications in that they don't have as much control about what comes in the door. And so there's a lot of, a, a lot of issues that a lot of, that we know about business can bring to the table here. And it just, it's a much more complicated scenario. And I think the other piece I would say there, and I talk to my students a lot about this, is that it's true from an accounting standpoint, but I presume it's true from an operational excellence standpoint as well. Uh, there's a lot of people in nonprofit organizations who are there because it's something they care about. There's fewer that are there because it's both something they care about and they bring in expertise in business too. And so there's a huge need in the nonprofit sector for people that can bring some of that business expertise and, and layer onto it, not just the business expertise, but this interest in the mission. And so, like you said, this, you know, having an understanding of that, their processes and, and some of the challenges they face, uh, understanding the, the processes and challenges of a manufacturing organization, there's going to be lots of overlap there. Yeah. This has been very useful for me, Brian. I learned a lot about the art of gift giving, specifically the the challenges of non-cash gift giving and how does it work from an organization who's giving the gift as well as the nonprofit organization who's receiving the gift. So thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thanks for letting me take part. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of There's a Better Way. To listen to our other episodes and for more information on the Master of Business and Operational Excellence, please visit go.osu.edu backslash M-B-O-E.